And Father, we're thankful. We are thankful that we know that name. That is a name that will resonate throughout all of eternity. And now today should resonate every day for us. It is the name that has brought us life. It is the name that will uh, be our song uh, when this thing here on earth uh, comes to the end that you've decided for it. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is all-encompassing. And we are so thankful for him. We just pray that you would bless this time now in his name. Amen. Well, you know, mistaken identity is always possible. And sometimes it can lead to silly outcomes. And so there's a man who was a uh, salesman. I heard this story from Zig Ziglar in one of his recordings or something or something I read. And uh, what happened was he was a window salesman in Florida in the area around Tarpon Springs. And he was a top-notch guy. I mean, he was just like almost impervious. Whenever he would make his pitch, people would buy. And so he knew where the big houses in Tarpon Springs were, and he knew that one had just started, gone under renovation. And so he shows up there, and, you know, it's, it, it's a big place, right? And so just imagine how many windows he could sell in this place if his record continues. And so he walks in there. Now, I don't know if you know this or not about Tarpon Springs, but it's a huge Greek community. It's one of the few places in the world, if you went and you said Kachikas, they would know one or two. So anyway, he walks in there, and there's a bunch of guys. They're, they're redoing this huge vaulted ceiling in there. And there's a bunch of guys sitting on the scaffolding, laughing and carrying on, wearing their dungarees and their work shirts, and they're all, you know, sweating and everything. And he walks in, and he tries to, you know, tries to eyeball this place up, you know. So where is the boss going to be? And he sees a woman coming out, and he figures he can go ask her. But as he's kind of coming in and going, one of the guys from up on top, he says, Hey, what are you looking for? And he looks at a guy up there, and he says, Well, I'm not looking for you. And he goes over to the woman, and he says, Hey, ma'am. He said, uh, he says, you know, I know you're renovating here, and I would love to talk to your husband and tell him about the windows that we could provide for you. And she said, you just talk to him. He was up on the scaffolding. What a guy, right? Only the Greeks would do that. Well, needless to say, he did not get that. And you know, the thing is, what's so interesting is that we have just come off of this great season, Christmas, right? So... Christmas, I mean, the whole world almost rejoices about Christmas. What in the world is Christmas all about? It's, it, it's about that baby, right? Away in a manger and go to Bethlehem and all of this. And Jesus is just this little cute baby. And the thing is, people still have this warm, wonderful feeling about Christmas, even if they don't know about the baby. I mean, you know, a baby's kind of harmless. A baby is sort of faceless. It could be a case of mistaken identity, right? You know, I grew up in a church where every week when I went there, when we went there, um, I think it was, as I'm looking, I think it was over there, and there was Mary, and in her lap, she had a baby, and the baby is usually holding a cross or, you know, something like this. And depending upon which church you went in, I mean, I, sometimes it looked like a baby, sometimes it looked like a 45-year-old man who needed a shave. And 
You know, I always wondered about that. What, what is that? And what is that supposed to mean? And then the thing is, dead center over what they called the altar up in front, there was Jesus on a cross, crucified, looking, you know, pretty worked over up there. And I remember sitting there and looking at that and going, okay, so we've got the baby over here, we got Jesus up there, and uh, I know that we're supposed to do stuff, and somehow this is supposed to matter, and maybe, kind of, sort of, we might get into heaven if we play our cards right. If we, you know, if he looks the right way at us when we get there. I figured I'd get into heaven, but it wouldn't be without about 450,000 years of purgatory. You know, and the thing was, is that it had no relevance to our lives, my life growing up. My family was messed up. Everybody, all the adults I knew were basically unhappy during the week. They were happy on Friday night. They were happy on Saturday. They sobered up on Sunday. And then we started the cycle again. And like, what is the relevance of the baby and the guy up there? What in the world does that mean? And then there was a poor priest, because the priest was always trying to get us to do stuff. He wanted us to come. You know, he was looking out for our souls, I'm sure. But he wanted us to come, and he wanted us to, to, to do the holy water, and he wanted us to give money, and he wanted us to, to do confession, and he wanted us to do all that stuff, and I know he had a good heart. But it didn't connect at all. And everyone I knew was lost and going in the wrong direction. We had the baby and we had Jesus up on the cross. We were missing something. What we were missing, I think, as I look back now, is the victorious Jesus. See, because the story doesn't end up on the cross, does it? And it doesn't even end at the resurrection and this is maybe for us to think about, because after the resurrection, the angels that saw the women, the first thing they said was, okay, never mind about that, just go tell his disciples they're supposed to meet him in Galilee. So, like, and Jesus would tell that to the disciples too. Okay, I'm risen. Now, let's meet in Galilee. What's going on in Galilee? It's the rest of the story. And see, that's what I didn't know growing up about this Jesus. He won the day. He's the victor. He's the conqueror. He's the coming one who is able to bring everything to a good conclusion. And because He's the winner, He brings a gift. And a gift is totally priceless. And a gift is nothing we have to earn and do stuff to get. It's not about doing stuff and getting stuff. The victor is able to freely give the gift to anyone who comes from That's the rest of the story. That is the entire Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is that He is coming again. He is coming again. And so the victor, you know, whatever our, our look is at Jesus, and I know a lot of us have, have been around the block for, you know, 40, 50, 60 years with all of this stuff, but He is the one that we cannot forget. The baby is wonderful. In fact, actually, the victor tells us why he came as a baby. The victor tells us why he hung on the cross. The victor tells us what it means that he rose from the dead. But the victor has to be spoken of. Jesus Christ is coming 
again. And like I mentioned in another message someplace, when Jesus taught the very simple, teeny-weeny, that even I can understand gospel, it was this. Go out and tell them the kingdom of God is coming and that they need to repent. There's something coming. That's the part of the gospel. And that's what we need to remember. And that's why it's a great thing to be in the book of Revelation. So, what we're going to be talking about today, I'm just going to be talking, uh, saying a couple things about a few instances of how God the Father presents Jesus, sort of at the beginning of the book, and what that might mean to us. So, if you have a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to start by summarizing a couple of things that um, John mentioned last week that are pretty important for us, I think. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things which must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to a servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now, here's the thing. Forget about John and the angel. This is the testimony that God the Father gave to Jesus the Christ that he is sharing with us. So, what is happening here is God the Father is telling Jesus Christ the things that are to come. And Jesus is sharing that with us. And you know, you may have this question about, you know, about why would God the Father have to share anything with God the Son? But see, here is the interesting thing in Revelation. Jesus is the Christ, right? We're not just talking about Jesus, the eternal God, God the Son. We're talking about the man who rose from the dead, who is called upon to sit at God's right hand. The one who is coming as the human ruler of all humanity and of all existence. The Son of Man. And it's interesting right here because I probably referred to Jesus in three different ways already. But see, this is the man, Jesus, who is in submission to God the Father to whom God the Father has now given a revealing and a revelation. That means this is very important. And Jesus is telling His followers the things that are to happen. And so He says to this angel, go get my servant John. He goes to John. He says, now I want you to tell John so that John can tell everything else. But the thing I'm trying to make clear is this is what God the Father gave to our Lord to tell us. And that's what we have. Now, Needless to say, I know this sounds like, you know, the most obvious thing in the world. Needless to say, then, we need to really pay attention to it. It's got to be important information that he is doing this. These are the last words of Jesus Christ that we have. And the last words are often very important words. Now, verse 3 is something else that's very important. I love this because this is the one that is so easy for us to throw up. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So you get all the blesseds, right? Blessed is, and it has something to do with communication of this truth. But when's the last time you heard this thing read out loud, right? Right? So you know what? We're all exempt from not having heard it. 
Isn't that great? Don't you love exemption clauses? We're not at all. See, actually, we may be very guilty of passing up some important information here. Because, see, back then, how many, did everyone have their own Bible in the first century? Oh, no, they didn't, right? There were no printing presses. There were no online books. There were no iPhones. It was terrible back then. So they would have one existent copy, maybe, that would travel with someone, maybe, from church to church. You might get it one time in five years. But the thing was, is when that guy showed up and he had it, you know what you did? The elders called everyone in. And you got the whole congregation, the entire assembly together, and you listened to it because this was important information. Because this is the kind of information that keeps your life focused. This keeps you focused on who that baby was and who that dying Savior was and who the guy was who rose again from the dead because he's coming back. And there is an answer to everything that's happening in life. And that helps you put your life in the proper perspective of what you ought to do today and tomorrow and the next day. So hearing it brings blessing. And God promises that. And I'm not going to do this to you, but I'm not going to ask you, how many of you have read the book of Revelation this last year? See, because folks... That's what God wants us to do. There is a blessing now to everyone who reads it. Because it does that same thing. I see so many believers who basically have lives adrift. They don't exactly know what God wants. They don't exactly know how to make decisions. What's going on in this world? Why is our government so terrible? Why is this happening over there? Really? And what are we supposed to do? Where is the spring of our hope? The spring of our hope is not from that baby. It is not from the, re- the, the crucified Christ. It is not just from the resurrected Christ. It is from that Savior, that King who is coming again. Now you can find hope in all of those things, but if you leave out the Savior who is coming again, you are making, we are making a huge mistake. He is part of the whole thing. Jesus said to get to Galilee to these guys, because then he stood there and he said, all things, all authority has been delivered to me on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. And he says to them, I am returning. So, this is very, very important information. This isn't just a curiosity. And the the fact is, the church for many years has made it a curiosity. And it just needs to be preached. It needs to be talked about. You all need to read it. This is important, important stuff. So, let's take a look at Jesus. Let's look at His appearing. In uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it says this. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So Jesus says, it says here that Jesus will be coming 
on the clouds. Now, there is a similar passage to that in the book of Daniel. So, you know, put your finger there. And this is going to be kind of like a sword drill in a way. Who even remembers what those are? So, Daniel chapter 13. This is, this is actually the beginning of the introduction of the concept that God is going to reign forever. You see it a little bit in chapter 2, where the stone cut off by no human hand demolishes the statue and grows into a kingdom that will last forever. Before that, it was the promise to David that one of his children would rule forever. That he would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All of these prophecies. And here in Daniel, you find something that um, is just, it's, it's one time. And in verse 13, well, I'll start reading in verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousands, a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. And I looked then... Because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking as I looked, the beast was killed and its body uh, was uh, given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and time. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now, what's interesting here, just putting this together with the book of Revelation, is this. What you're getting in Daniel is basically, it looks like the Son of Man coming to the throne at the beginning of the tribulation. So, chapters 4 and 5. Who is the one who was able to open the seals? Who in the world would that be? And John starts weeping because no one was found worthy. And then comes the Son of Man. The description in Revelation starts looking like what Jesus will be, what He will look like, or His coming at the end of the tribulation when He comes to save Jerusalem. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, the whole point of all this, in talking about His appearing, is just this. He's coming. He is coming on the clouds of heaven. It says that twice, and He'll say it again at the end of the book of Revelation. So the thing is, is that we need to be ready for that. There needs to be the expectancy in the joy, I, that's what I think comes from this. The, fa- the sense of joy. This is something yet that has not happened, that will happen, that we need to be looking forward to every day. When I first became a believer in the Brethren Assembly I came into, we talked about this. It was amazing. All the time. It was like every time you walked outside, you, you took a cloud check. I'm serious. I remember sitting in a uh, car one time talking to a, another guy who had just come to Christ recently. And he's looking out the window. And I said, what are you looking at? And he said, I wonder if it could be that cloud. And I mean, you know, we, we start going, mm. but you, you lived in the expectancy of him coming. Now, what I'm going to do very quickly here, I hope, is I'm going to share a song with you. 
And I'm not going to sing. Okay, so you don't have to worry about that happening again. But um, let, me, let me give you a little bit of the background of the song. Um, there's a, a singer-writer that I really like named uh, Reuben Morgan. Um, what I like about Reuben Morgan is the heart of his songs, um, the, the words. Uh, it's one of, these, one of these things where, you know, I kind of listen to his songs, and I, I think this could be a brother from another mother, you know. If we ever meet, I hope we like each other. That would be a real disappointment, actually. But um, Reuben Morgan has written a lot of great, great songs, very biblical songs. Um, uh, you know some of these songs as, uh, let's see, what are his latest hits here are uh, Who You Say I Am, uh, Cornerstone, um, Forever Rain. Um, but the one that I'm going to point to is one called We Will See Him. I hear very few songs that are really apocalyptic. Uh, uh, Revelation song, we sing that one to death. And, but this song, We Will See Him. Now, here's what I want to point you to. Listen to the words. Listen to the words, because the words are very good. Not only that, um, this is not going to be the cup of tea that all of you like, but there is composition here. The beginning of the song that rolls through the begin the, the melody that rolls through the beginning and the end, they're trying to create the idea of something about his coming. Um, there's going to be a refrain in the song that gets sung three times. And I know some people don't like repetition, but they do it in a good way because they build intensity every time. That's art. I love that in songs. And then there's a time right in the middle where the electric guitar goes wild. And I'm going to warn you about that, but he does it on purpose. He does it on purpose because the intensity of imagining what it would be like for Christ to break through the atmosphere and for everyone on earth at the same time, and I don't know how he's going to pull that off, to see it happen. So there is quite a bit of art built into this. And the electric guitars, you know, I mean, that's, it would be great if it was an orchestra and there were strings. The electric guitar to me is a little bit like playing a violin with a handsaw uh, with a cross-cut blade. Anyway, um, enjoy. Thanks, guys. So, the point of that being he is coming back. If you don't know him, you need to know him. You need to think about what it will be to stand before him and have had all of this time but not really done business with Jesus. And for the rest of us who do know him, there needs to be the sense of urgency and expectancy. He is coming back and we will see him. So now is the time for us to be involved in the harvest and do our work. Ah, joy and expectancy. What a wonderful thing. The next thing is his appearance. Now, his appearance is talked about in Revelation, also in chapter 1. And uh, look at verse 12. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this appearance because it's actually the text for the next message. But I just want to point out a couple of things here. Um, it says um, in verse, well, yeah, obviously I have it here, 12. Um, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow, his eyes like flame, 
flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And I'm just going to stop there. Now, obviously there is some symbolism there. Uh, and uh, men with bigger heads than I, and maybe, I don't know if John's going to do this next week, his head is certainly bigger. Uh, he can look into it and actually draw all of that stuff out of there if that's what he's going to do. But if not, I want to show you something else, because there is an overall meaning to Jesus looking like that. And for that, you need to go back to Daniel. So look at Daniel chapter 10. Now, this is... Uh, this is the portion of Scripture where Daniel has been uh, fasting. And uh, he's waited for 21 days to get an answer from God about this question he has. Now, this question he has is really interesting because it relates to Revelation. There is a mystery in Revelation that we'll be talking about in a couple minutes here that makes Daniel sick, makes him ill because he can't grapple with what it is. And so he goes to God, and God sends a messenger. And when this messenger shows up, in Daniel verse 5, it says, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from uh, Upaz around his waist. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words were like the sound of a multitude. Now, so obviously the similarity, right? Jesus, as he appears to John in Revelation, looks something like this, and you look back at this messenger, and you think to yourself, okay, uh, apparently they get fitted at the same clothing store. Now, here's the question. What does that overall appearance mean? So we'll go back to the person appearing to Daniel here. And uh, Daniel is not able to actually uh, speak to this man. Some people on, on the surface, they look at this and think it could be a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, but it's not, and you'll see why. Um, look at verse 12. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel... For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for twenty-one days, but Michael, one of your chief princes, helped me, and I was left there, and for I was left there with the kings of Persia. This angel was sent the minute that Daniel started praying. For twenty-one days, he was withstood by whatever angelic force it is that empowers or protects, at that point, the kingdom of Persia. Now, here's the deal. If it would have been Jesus, that would have been the extent of that fight. Any spirit that you see in the gospel that stands before Jesus is absolutely laid out. There is no demon that comes before Jesus in the gospel realizing he is God the Son, the Holy One of God, who can even stand before Him. So, there would have been no battle if that had been Jesus. But it is an angel, and here's what I want you to see. It is an angel engaged in battle. And this is what he looks like. Flaming eyes, burnished bronze, glorified. When, I think when we see Jesus here in Revelation, He is ready for battle. 
This is not Jesus coming to turn the other cheek. This is not Jesus coming simply to save men. This is Jesus coming to bring justice and to do battle and to bring this thing to a conclusion. And I think that's pretty cool. But it gets even better. So look at Revelation chapter 19. So in Revelation 19, we have John seeing Jesus. Now, the, the, the point at, at this place is Jesus is actually ready to come after the tribulation. So the tribulation basically is ending. It's on that last day. This is Jesus coming in the clouds of glory. So in verse 11, it says, Then I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. We have a hard time with the concept of war, but we don't understand what the earth will look like at that point. The thing that we understand is that Jesus is coming, and he is faithful and true. Isn't that the guy you want to be your king? Isn't that the guy you want to bring judgment one who is faithful and true, and one who will do it in righteousness. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, or crowns. Now, here's the deal. As far as I see in the Bible, crowns are given to men. Paul talks about crowns. Jesus has one crowns as the Son of Man, the Son of God. And He has done that through His life. He has done that through His suffering. He has done that through His temptations. He has done that through all the trials that He has been under. He has done that because He gave His life to ransom many. And so He wears, obviously, more than one. All the names you can name of Jesus, He deserves a crown for every one of those. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. I mean, who can fathom what the Son of God endured and went through and earned? Because he was treated like a son by his father. He, was, he suffered. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and by the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Now, I mean, you know, a million expositors will come up with a million and one definitions of what this is. If we say he comes in a robe dipped in blood, the natural thing, and I think a, a very true thing, is that it is his own blood that he shed for mankind. That is what gives him the basis for judgment. That he himself, because if you go back to Revelation chapter 5, because he died for men, which gives him the basis to be a judge for men, because he earned our salvation so anyone who pushes Jesus away, they judge themselves, basically. So his blood is certainly a part of this, but this is what I wanted to mention before about this mystery that, be, that comes in the preceding verses. God gives up his own to be ravaged by the enemy. It's a big part of the book of Revelation. When you... You're in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It says, They defeated him by the 
word of their test by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony before because they they loved not their lives even unto death. They gave up their lives willingly. And when you see what is happening in the book of Revelation, it, it kind of echoes what Paul said in, in Romans chapter eight. We are all day long we are being slaughtered. We are like sheep destined to be slaughtered. God will give them up. So if you do a word search on conquered in the book of Revelation, here's what you're going to find. Two of those places refer, all of them refer to God except two places. One, Satan conquered the saints. Two, God allowed Satan to conquer his people. Because see, this is the test of hearts of people on the planet. This is why Jesus can come and wage a righteous war because the sides have already been drawn. If they didn't like Jesus, if they didn't like God, they took it upon themselves to exterminate his followers. They won't get the job done. But with every drop of blood that is shed by a follower of Jesus, it builds up this incredible indictment against mankind. So when Jesus comes, he's not turning the other cheek. He is fighting for his own. How often in Revelation do the voices from under the altar, the voices of the martyrs say, when will our blood be avenged? With one of the bowls, all the oceans of the world will be turned into blood. And an angel says, how righteous are your judgments, O God, because they have spilled the blood of your saints. Jesus' robe is dipped in blood, and he is called by a name called the Word of God. The Word of God. He is the Word made flesh. And folks, this is just significant, I think, in this way. We need to cherish this word. Men have given, men and women have given their lives for this thing. And for us to treat it as common, for us not to be in it, and, you know, I'm not going to say every day, you know, because I say that all the time. But it does say in Psalm 1 to meditate on a day and night, right? And that's God, you know, what he says. And I just think, how are you going to get to know the Word made flesh if you don't read the Word? Because He is the Word. And he, you know, this is what separates the men from the boys and faith from non-faith. Is He to be found in here? Am I communi- communing with Him when I am in this thing? On a good day, we'll just give in to the theoretical and say, of course, then why don't we do it? What makes us strong? What captures our hearts? Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. And when He comes, isn't it significant in His appearance, He comes as the Word of God. Now, one thing I'm not going to go into uh, is when you look in the book of Revelation and you read the word witness and testimony, almost every time, it's using the word that John referred to last time, uh, materion, martyr. Okay, it's the word for witness. To witness it is from the root of that word that means martyr. And testimony, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. That is the same word, it's just the noun form. Martyr. Are we so afraid of death? Are we so ashamed of the words of our Savior that we will not talk about our Lord who's coming back? I don't want that to be true of me. Because at the root of that word to witness, at the root of that word to give testimony, is the idea, I'm willing to die to say this. 
in the martyrs during the tribulation, the worst time of history on this planet, are willing to stand up and they're willing to say, I belong to Jesus Christ and you've got to watch out because he's coming. Get your life in order with God now. And for that they will lose their lives. But they will beat the devil. That's his appearance. And so I just think, folks, we need to be in the Word of God. We need to understand that our Lord is a great King. What does it mean to have a King? What does it mean to have a King? One to come and save you. Maybe none of us have ever been distressed enough to know what that means. But the King is coming and He's going to save the whole world. All those believe in Him. And He's going to validate the fact that they were willing to be called by the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe even having given their lives, they're going to be validated in the fact that their King is coming. And He is going to bring this sad thing on earth to an end. And it will be a time of righteousness. It will be a time of wonder. And the final thing that I have to say here is um, back to Revelation uh, chapter 1. Yeah. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. And actually at the end of the book of Revelation... It says, verse uh, chapter 22, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. This is the person of Christ. Now, unknown to you, and you don't have to look there. I'm just going to throw it out as trivia. In Isaiah, when Isaiah passes from talking about the... um, uh, the preparation of Israel for that great day they faced against the Assyrians, it goes into what they call the Book of Consolation in, in chapter 40. Chapter 41, God says, I am the first and the last. I am your Redeemer. Chapter 42, I am the first and the last. I am your Redeemer. Chapter 48, I am the first and the last. I am your Redeemer. There can only be one first and the last. It's Jesus. And I'm just going to break this down really simply because I'm, I've run out of time. He is everything. He is the culmination of all of history. But folks, He is the center point and the culmination of our lives. And we need to make a decision. What is going to rule my life? Have I pushed Him off the throne? Have I said, yeah, Jesus, but I can have all of this other stuff too? Or does... Can life be boiled down to so much love and so much devotion to Jesus Christ where you say, basically, I don't need any of that. This is the focus of who I am. This will be the focus of my life. This is the focus of my endeavors. This is the focus of my energy to bring glory and witness to Jesus Christ because now is the time of harvest. And the thing is, there's a book in German that was very popular for many years. It's called Jesus, Our Destiny. And it was about that thick, but it all boiled down to this. We all stand in front of Jesus. And everything that we haven't built for Jesus goes... So what does our life really mean? I can't tell you what that says, uh, you know, what that means directly for you. But what it does mean when Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega, I am the beginning and the end, we all need to be focused to Him. He is the one who brings out 
the most joy we could ever seek. He is the one who brings out the most fulfillment. He is the one who will make this life on earth an adventure of hopefulness, an adventure of trying to save people, an adventure of waiting expectantly for His glory. Accept no substitutes. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving us a hope. We talk about Jesus' return as our blessed hope. And maybe in the meantime, we have found other things to hope in. Maybe people here are hoping that the, the um, Texans win, or I don't know what they're thinking about right now. But there is one hope, and it is our Lord Jesus Christ. He has won the day. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to be mindful of the fact that he indeed came as a baby, and we celebrate that birth. He died on the cross, and he paid for our sins, the, the payment that we could not make, and he satisfied your justice. And he rose again from the dead to show us that was true. But he is coming. He is coming. That is the hope of our heart. We will see him. And He isn't coming now to to do anything other than to face down all the foes of humanity. Everything that is broken here. Everything that has broken families. Everything that has demeaned mankind. Broken homes. Hurt people brought such tragedy and such injustice and such terror and such tragedy on the earth. And that has been a lot of mankind's doing, but the spiritual forces behind that have been very active. They will all be judged. We thank you for a king like that. We thank you that he's coming. We thank you that we can invest everything we are in him because he is that beginning and the end, and we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.